All right, in Ephesians chapter 6, looking specifically at the armor of God, and we've been going through this, through the armor of God over the last, um, I think it's been six weeks, maybe seven weeks um, that we've gone through, maybe two months now, that we've been talking specifically about the armor of God. And this morning, in the scripture readings, we had the account of the serpent coming to Adam and Eve and tempting, and they capitulated. And then we had in the next scripture reading, another scripture reading, the serpent coming to Jesus and tempting him, and he resisted the, that old serpent, the devil, and sent him away, and the angels came and ministered to him. And so when I'm looking at the armor of God, one of the things that we're dealing with on a daily basis is we have that same old serpent still coming after us. And much of the temptations that he came to, to Jesus, to Adam and Eve with, those are similar to what he's coming to us with. And one of our desires for the armor of God and for understanding this battle is we want to, at the end of our encounters, be able to say, then the devil left and the angels came. That's what we want. We want to be on that side of things. And so in war, there is never one magic bullet or strategy or word or weapon that automatically wins. There's always a mixture of discipline, of skill, of training, even the, tr the terrain and the environment of our lives, and endurance that wins. And in the case of the Christian, faith and faithfulness are indispensable for victory. And so when I'm looking at the armor of God, I am thinking in terms of each individual piece, but not one of these individual pieces is like the magic bullet. I think of the gentleman I knew who <coughs> regularly used God's name in vain, was involved in multiple illicit relationships, had multiple addictions, but he had found Psalm 91 printed out in a little, in, in, in uh, one of those scripture, you know, a pretty printing of this thing. And he would read this every morning. He said, it makes me feel good. It makes me feel like God is protecting me. And so I'm looking at him and his life and I'm looking at Psalm 91 and thinking, so you think you can quote Psalm 91 in the morning and then you can live however you want throughout the day, disregarding the word of God and you still think God's protecting you? And this is one of the very, very important things for us to question about ourselves, is are we doing certain things thinking that this is the magic bullet, that this is somehow just gonna cover everything and then I can live as I want to live? Because personally, this is probably my biggest struggle of my adult life, has been that when I'm coming to Jesus, I look at this and I have these moments where my, the faith and the fire within me is burning hot and I want to wear the whole armor of God and I want to use the sword of the spirit and the shield of faith. I want to be involved in all prayer, but then I have other moments where I would rather just lie on the couch and do nothing. And so where is this balance between these two things? Because I am not a monk that is only ever dealing with you know, in a monastery, 
doing these things. And I'm grateful I'm not because one of the biggest sources of faith in my life has been other people's faith that I bump into on a regular basis. But when we're looking at the armor of God, we talked through each one in the previous series of messages. Now I'm looking at the whole armor again. And I just want to look back at Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. And so in verse 10, it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. So this is part of the purpose and in the intent that he's talking about. What is your purpose? What is your intent? With verse 10 of the be strong in the Lord. Well, to start with, for me to say I want to be strong in the Lord means that several things have already taken place. One is that I have somehow encountered the Lord. And so the purpose and the intent of my life now is I want to be in the Lord and I want to be strong in him and I want to be identified with him and I want to be victorious with him. But there is something between the king and myself that says the direction of my heart is toward him. That my, like it says in the Psalms, when you said to me, seek my face, my heart said to you, O Lord, your face I will seek. That has happened. We have come to Christ. We have said, I want to pursue him. So the purpose and intent that we start with is, I want to be in Christ. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. This talks about a certain amount of preparation that happens when we're putting on the armor of God. You don't just walk into some place and there's some armor lying around and you just put it on. Preparation means you have already adjusted it. You fit it. The, the, The straps actually fit. You're not pulling the belt on and saying, wow, it's three links too short. Like you, it actually fits. Everything about this has been adjusted. It's your armor. It fits you. You have worked on this. You have figured out how the pieces fit on your life. So there's preparation that's involved in our spiritual life that is necessary. We don't just show up one day and someone hands us the envelope. We open it, pull out the magic words and read the right spell and poof, we win. That's not the way it works. We have to be prepared. We have to put on the whole armor of God. So then we go on reading. It says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers and against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. That is awareness. If you are in a battle situation, we would call that some situational awareness. Um, And if you've ever played games like Nerf guns or any of those things, what what is always so disheartening, and I actually have a video of this one time happening where we were playing a game and and I come and I have the camera for whatever reason and I'm, I'm following what's going on and up in front of me, I see someone pass and head over through to seek cover behind another building. A few seconds later, another person comes out and is tracking him down. And as I'm watching, a third person comes out of the grass and is tracking the, the, the and they're all going down. And so when you get there, the person you, the first one is out there going, there's nobody around, it's so empty out here. And the, the second one is going, I got him, I got him, I'm gonna get him. And then the third one is like, I got them both. And, and so this can happen situationally, we can be so focused on one thing, we can either be that first person saying, ah, there's nothing out here, it's all fine. Or we can be that so focused, I'm gonna win this one, that we miss the fact that there's another battle brewing right here. And I'm about to be taken broadside and I need to be aware. So what is the awareness for us? We are aware that people are not our enemy. 
There are people who might be fighting against us, but in the scheme of things, people are not your enemy. Hitler himself can, could have repented and turned to Christ and become an ally in World War II. Sounds far-fetched, highly unlikely of happening, did not happen, but it's within the realm of possibilities in the kingdom of heaven. You can take your worst enemy, you can take Saul, the hunter of Christian heads, and you can turn him around into a believer, and suddenly he becomes the apostle to the Gentiles, and he's writing, and to this day you and I know much about Christianity because of Paul. And yet he was at one point the spearhead of the opposition. And so it, anybody can be taken from that. So the people are not the enemy. We have an enemy. And here it says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, that's humans, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. This is really important for us to be aware of this. Because if, if I think that the only reason I struggle is because of my own flesh or because of someone else's flesh, then it's all on this psychological level and I'm trying to psych myself up to stay in the battle and psych myself up and learn how to interact with people in a way that makes them, you know, I want to win friends and influence people. So this is what I'm doing. I'm learning how to do all this. And there's good things out there in this, right? But this is not the level where the battle is actually at. There is a power out there, a spiritual host of wickedness that wants to destroy you. Yes, you. Not just somebody, not just leaders in the church, not just, but the spiritual host of wickedness wants to destroy every person on earth. Because each one of us, no matter how broken we are, we bear the image of our creator. And he hates the creator and therefore he hates us. And so part of the situational awareness is that you are under spiritual attack. Now, there are times when you and I say things like, wow, I really felt under attack this week. And it's true. There are times when we feel a special attack. But there is a general truth that we are under attack. And so when you're in a relationship with another human being and you feel like something's not working right here, don't just assume that it's all about the relationship and it's about you and this other person. It's about the enemy trying to take you out, trying to take the other person out. And so you can come to that relationship. Now, this doesn't mean that you show up in full you know, physical armor and like on guard and take on the other person. It means that you take on the spiritual attack and you deal with it on a spiritual level first and then you work through the physical and the emotional and the physiological and all the other ramifications, the psychological things that you have to deal with with other people. And so this is part of our situational awareness. So going on from there, being aware that we're under attack, that we have an enemy, verse 13 says, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Now in verse 11, we had put on the whole armor of God and I call that preparation. Verse 13, I'm calling training. One of the things that happens in training, and if you've ever, um, if you've been in military or you've watched films about military, one of the things that happens that's just, th that could be the, the boring beyond all belief is that you are put into a training scenario and at some point, for instance, I've seen films where you're given a weapon and they want you to take the weapon apart and put it back together. And then they want you to take it apart and put it back together. 
And then they want you to take it apart and put it back together and over and over and over and over again. And you could be like, look, there's no enemy around. Why am I doing this? And the reason is because when the enemy is around and your weapon has a problem, you want to be able to do this in the dark with your eyes closed or while you're running across a field. You want to be able to do this without thinking. And so you do it over and over and over and over again. Uh, I think of, you know, Sergeant York when he was getting ready for World War I. And he and the boys, they went down to Georgia to some camp down there and they were training down there. And then he said they started, they started marching us everywhere. And so we marched and marched for several months until we thought we had marched our shoes off. And then we got shipped out to France and we thought now we get to go. But no, they marched us for three more months. They marched and marched and marched those boys. It was part of training. They were like, why are they doing this to us? Well, one day they got sent to the Argonne Forest. And when they got to the Argonne Forest, suddenly the last thing you wanted to be doing was try to figure out how to march and how to walk. You were being told under artillery fire, move that way. And you as a group had to get that way. And there were a lot of other things happening and it was not the time to be pulling out your handbook and saying, how do you move troops? How do you learn how to march? They needed to be able to march. They needed to be able to move. And so this is, this is the, the part of our Christian life because, you know, I said we have an enemy that's trying to destroy our souls. And yet there seem to be lots of boring bits in our life where it seems like nothing's happening. So why should I fight on those days? Why should I train on those days? Why should I put on the armor if nothing's going to happen today? I'm just going to be here in my house going to do the same old thing, same old chore, same old people, go to bed, the same old bed. It's just going to happen all over again. And yet, we're being told to take up the armor of God. And so when we look at these other, these other elements, the part of the training, it's daily, it's repetitive, over and over and over again, the same thing, even when there's no danger or enemy in sight. But yet we do it because we're preparing for the battle. And I think of how many times in history it's played out to where you have an army that comes into camp, thinks they're safe, and either goes into siesta mode or party mode, siesta or fiesta. They go into <laughs> this mode and they're not ready when the enemy comes. And suddenly here comes the enemy and people are scrambling around looking for their guns and looking for their weapons because they weren't ready. And so I don't want to be not ready. So one of the reasons for training over and over again is so that I know where my weapons are. I know how they fit. I know how to use them. I'm prepared. So then we come to our weapons. Verse 14, stand therefore having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Girded your waist with truth. We call it the belt of truth. One of the things that is a, a gut-punching truth that we have to have a realization for is that when we're talking about truth, we're not just talking about a logical, reasonable argument that's out here. We're talking about a living, breathing person of Jesus Christ who is the final judge of the whole earth. And so when we say truth, we are being brought back to reality and grounded with into the fact that everything I do, I will stand before him and I will answer to him. And so we have an option. We can either run from him our whole life and face him afterward, or we can choose to face him now. And what we find 
It's, it's in the facing him now, we find we are not worthy, we don't have what it takes, and we find ourselves crying out to him for mercy, forgiveness, for cleansing. He washes us with the blood of Jesus, and we are made new. And this is what we call the breastplate of righteousness. It's his righteousness in our life. But we, are, we start with this realization that truth is not just something out there that I can either discover or leave alone. Truth is a person. And he actually has something to say to each one of us for everything that happens in our life. He can speak to us for any area of our life. But then the breastplate of righteousness, putting on his righteousness, we're righteous in Christ. The gospel of peace comes along in verse 15, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. When we are, when our feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, it means several things. It means that we are ready to go, march, so to speak, if we're being commanded to go, but it also means that we're equipped that wherever we do step, wherever we do go, that that becomes that we are equipped to walk in peace. We're equipped to walk and carry the gospel of the good news of the truth of Christ and the righteousness of Christ into whatever scenario we come into. The shield of faith. This is something where we talked about faith. We talked about the shield that it creates. One of the things that this shield makes me think of is going all the way back to preparation that I talked about in verse 11, putting on the whole armor of God. One of the things that the shield is, is an awareness of our environment. It's not just one thing that we wave around hoping to catch all the darts of the wicked one, but it's also part of the shield of faith. If you look at at history and you look at war happening, many, many times you'll see here comes the enemy army and then here is the defending army and what do they do? They don't go marching until they bump into the enemy. They stop short because they found a spot with the high ground. They stop here and take shelter behind a stone wall or on top of a hill or in, and they wait for the enemy to come. And part of their shield is their environment. And so it's useless for us to say, I am a swashbuckling Christian warrior and I can go out and, and, and encounter any kind of sin and do anything I want because in the end I will win. All I have to do is pull out my shield of faith and I can win and I don't have to be, I will not be taken in by sin. And then we walk out and we're associating ourselves not in a healthy way with any kind of situation and we find ourselves way out here off in left field and suddenly we're struggling and we are needing to be rescued. And we say, I don't understand, I prayed. Sometimes we pray and then we go somewhere. Sometimes we pray and we don't go to that place. And that's part of our shield of faith. Our environment is important. So you look around you, you say, what is here? And for, for me, that means there's a lot of places that I don't go. I don't want to be there. I don't have anything to gain from the kingdom. So if for whatever reason, someone, something comes along where I need to go rescue someone from a scenario, I might go there. But I always pray that it should such a situation come that I would have another brother or someone in the faith to go with me and we could walk together as a sting or as a small squad and we could get in there and get out of there without being overtaken by the lust of the flesh or whatever was happening, right? 
So part of our shield of faith is part of our preparation. It's us choosing the ground, our environment on which we're fighting. You don't want to go down <coughs> and just rush yourself headlong at the enemy when he has the high ground. You want the high ground. So scripturally speaking, there's a lot of commands in scripture where people are like, why is God trying to limit me? Why doesn't he want me to do, have fun? Well, he's not trying to limit you. He's trying to set you up for success and give you the high ground so that when the enemy comes at you, you're in a good position to fight back. So just about every do and do not that you find in scripture has something to do with giving you the high ground so that you can resist the enemy when he comes to you. See, on a human level, speaking physically, we say Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and then the enemy came to him and tempted him. We say, wow, he must have been so weak. Spiritually, physically, yes. Spiritually, he had prepared the high ground. He had sought to have nothing in the flesh and everything in the spirit. And so there is a real sense in which sometimes the ground that you prepare to the flesh around you, the people will say, why are you doing that? That's so ridiculous. You, you can do this. this. This is not a problem. You can be part of this. It's not going to be, you know, it's not wrong. But you're saying it might, it's not wrong, but it's the low ground. And I want to choose the high ground so that I can stand and so that my shield of faith is worth something. Because when you're in the low ground and you have your shield of faith and then you have 40 million minions piling on top of you, your little shield may not work because you went into the wrong place. This reminds me, Civil War is one of my favorite war time periods for war because of just the place where we were in battle. We did, hadn't gone to these machine guns and all these other horrible things yet, and it was still very much, strategy was very involved. And there was a day at Gettysburg where the whole Northern Regiment uh, is lined up along this ridge, and it's kind of a long, kind of eyebrow-shaped thing. And one of the men, is up here and he's flanked on both sides with other units and other, um, and so they're all here, but he looks and says, down there, a mile in front of the rest of the line would be a better place. So he goes to his commanding officer and asks permission to go forward and doesn't get it. He says, no, we're making a solid line. Don't go down there. So then, after a little while, he's like, I'm sure that's a better place. There are big rocks and stuff. He moves his unit, breaks the line, and moves a mile forward down below where he is then indefensible. No one else can come to his rescue. And he ends up being beaten back, and it was almost a demise before the, the final victory came. And so just because you look around and you really like something doesn't mean that it's the high ground. And this is why God puts authorities in our life. That's why he gives us these things. So when we're wearing the armor of God, a huge part of this preparation is where do you wear it? Where do you take it? Because you can wear the best armor and put yourself in a very, in a very bad situation where your armor cannot defend you. And so part of your armor is your position. Where are you standing in Christ? And so that is part, when I think of the feet, when I think of the faith, when I think of putting on the whole armor, the preparation time, this is part of what this is. So above all, taking the shield of faith, verse 16, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Faith needs to be active. And this is where one of the first places, the, the quenching of the fiery darts of the wicked one. I, I personally believe that one of the quickest ways to take in a dart is to take an offense. 
When someone says something or does something and you yourself nurse it and you're like, I'm going to, I need to make this, get this back at them or I need to correct myself, you know, not correct yourself. I need to um, prove myself or clear myself and you're taking up an offense and you're becoming bitter at someone for something they did. Forgiveness, I believe, is part of our shield of faith because it says, I believe that my king is better at taking avenging me than I am. And so in my faith, I am trusting that he will be able to avenge me and I don't have to. And so in the name of Jesus, I forgive that person for what they said and I release them so that God can do with them whatever they want. And I ask God to bless them so that he can deal with them and I will keep my eyes on the king. That is one way when the fiery dart comes of using your shield of faith and not letting it hit you, but you're quenching it. You're, and it will still hurt a little because when a fiery dart hits you, it hurts a little, but it won't burn you up. It won't consume you if your shield of faith is intact and you are able to believe that your king is better at dealing with it than you are and you can let it go. So that's one way. There's, there's other fiery darts that are out there, but that is the one that I've probably seen the most is taking up an offense, whether for myself or for someone else. Um, going down to the helmet. One of the things with the helmet, to take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. One of the things I think about when I see the helmet is that in a, in one of the things that we're protecting with a helmet is our thought life and our, what we say. And, and I have personally watched this happen and play out multiple times. Um, it might be finances, it might be health, but you'll see someone and they're praying, oh Lord, please, I want to be healthy. And maybe they will even say this, please help me stop drinking soft drinks or whatever. And then next thing you know, they're over there mixing up to drink for themselves. And you're like, didn't you just pray to not do that anymore? Like, why are you still doing it? And so there is a thought process that says, it's a good thing to pray about things. So I'm gonna pray. But if you're, what you are believing here doesn't actually change your actions, then you don't actually believe it in here. And so financially, I've seen people who will go to conferences about being uh, prosperous and they will learn these things and you'll hear them saying, well, you know, I believe that God wants me to prosper and, and so they'll say different things and then they'll go out and run up credit card debt to do something they can't afford to do. And you're like, didn't you just say that you were believing that God was going to provide for you? And yet now you're doing these other actions that are putting you more and more into bondage. There's a disconnect. And so when it comes to the helmet of salvation, a huge part of this is that we are checking every thought to say, is this the power of God unto salvation? Or is this worldly wisdom unto bondage? And we're over and over again checking that. And so for myself, this is where it probably hits closest to home because I will express something and say, I, you know, I would like this or such and such to happen. I would like for this to be there. But until I believe that it's possible. For instance, I uh, went, went to the bank on Friday. It was a beautiful, awesome day outside. Felt like, you know, almost summer. It was beautiful. And Going to the bank on a beautiful spring day reminded me of another beautiful spring day about 12 years ago when I had to go to the bank. And back then, 
that particular day, I was going to the bank to talk with this retired Marine with the shaven head who was my banker. He'd been there when Saddam Hussein fell. He'd been in Iraq. That's where he'd been. Now he was my banker. And I was going to tell him that I couldn't make my mortgage payment that day or that week, month. And he had, and so I'm, I, was, I remember because here I am and I'm looking at him and I'd had several conversations with him over the, the course of knowing him. And I had felt at the time that because I was a, an evangelist, because I was a speaker, that I had something of value for him. And yet here I'm coming to him unable to make my payments. And so I'm thinking, a little bit then, but a lot more in retrospect, I'm thinking, what was I thinking that I had to offer him if what I was wanting to share couldn't even spur me on to put me in a place to be able to pay, and I'll just tell you, a $338 mortgage payment. <laughs> so when you look at it from this perspective, you say, Joseph, if you want to preach to others about being, in, you know, if you want to give inspirational talks about moving people in life, well, then maybe believe them yourself. And maybe, and so what was happening that 12 years ago was I was in a season where I had come into a place where I'd done a lot of things right and I was doing a lot of things right, but there were a few areas of my life where I had failed to see that God could still work. And I was, I was not believing that it was possible. And so I would look at something and say, I can't do that. I can't afford that. Man, I wish I could do that. Man, I wish I could do that. Something changed one day, and I said, well, what would it take to be able to do that? For instance, what would it take for me to be debt-free? And I, f I was walking around with a black cloud over my head thinking, I am so far in debt. So on that day, I remember going in, and I went and found every bill I had, and I wrote them down, and I was expecting to need to use multiple pages, and it was five lines and it was less than $5,000. And I thought, well, excluding the mortgage. And I thought, is this what I am so down and out about? And I figured out how much money that would come out to if I earned a certain average a day a month, what would that be? I'm like, wow, that's not that bad. But there's a shift was happening where I went from saying, that's too hard, that's impossible, poor victim me, to saying, what would it take to actually do this? And in the Christian faith, one of the things that the helmet of salvation does for us, when it comes to salvation, instead of saying, I'm not good enough for God, we ask the question, what would it take? And we find out what it takes is the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, and it's already been done, it's already been paid for, and suddenly our heart can leap with, with hope and expectation. Does that mean that I, even I, can be part of this? Yes. That's what it means. But we went from saying, I'm not good enough, I can never do this, to say, what would it take? We find the answer. And it continues the rest of our life with that sort of thing where the, where the shield, I mean, the helmet of our salvation is bringing salvation to every part of our life. And we look at everything that we are believing that is not from God. Anytime we're saying, well, that we can't do that. That's impossible. That's too hard. I wish I could afford that. I wish I, knew, I wish I knew how to do that. I wish I was as good as so-and-so. All of those are indicators that we don't believe that he has what it takes for us to succeed in that area. And so helmet of salvation, part of what it means is taking every thought captive, changing the, the, the admission of total defeat to a, what would it take to do that? 
Sometimes when you ask that question and you start going down the path, you say, you know what? This really is not worth it. I don't want to do this. This is not part of my God experience. And you say, that was just a desire of the flesh and you're taking thoughts captive another way. Sometimes you, as you dig into it, you're like, actually, God wants this for everyone. This is exactly what God wants for us. And you start saying, well, if he wants it for people, then what does it take for me to walk in it? And it changes from impossible to possible. So, fired at the helmet of salvation right there, uh, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. One of the things I, I thought about, and you know, we sh- I did the whole talk about the sword a couple weeks ago. One more thought on it as we're over, looking over this is this. When you're in a sword battle, do you inform your enemy of the make and model of your sword? Do you show him the ornate trappings of the handle or anything? Or do you just pull out the sword and start fighting? One of the things that we have gotten into, and in America we call it persecution when I don't think it is, and it's where we come into a conversation and we pull out the reference, the translation, the everything, and we're like, you need to believe this, it's the Bible. And then they are somewhat put off by it And then we're like, wow, we're suffering persecution because they don't like the Bible. Whereas we could come in, have you considered being able to speak the truth of scripture without having to explain the reference, the translation, the book? You could even say something as simple as Jesus said and give a quote and leave it at that. And in some cases that is more effective and more powerful then if you're coming in and saying, well, here's the translation, here's the scripture reference, and here's why, why I believe this, and you're just simply putting out the truth. There may even be instances where you need to not even preface the thing with Jesus uh, and say that Jesus said, and just simply speak the truth and put it out there and leave it. It's possible that you need to use the sword of God that way, but I wanted to bring that up as a, a thing. Is how much are we, you know, verse numbers didn't show up until the 1200s. So they were not part of the apostles' doctrine. They didn't say turn to Isaiah 53, verse whatever. No, they, they rolled through the scroll until they came to the place where it said, and then they read that. And so just as a, a thought, as we're trying to l- use the word of God and, and to be efficient with it, is perhaps we need to have it so part of our vocabulary that the words we say are seasoned with it so that when someone says to us, they, don't, they might not even say, remember when you quoted that Bible verse to me from the KJV or whatever? No, they will say to you, remember what you told me three years ago when we were after we did this thing and you just said, and they'll share something and it has Bible truth in it. They remember it as coming from you, but they are responding to God because of it. And so this is, I think, something for us to think about when we want to wield the sword of the spirit is how much do we get in our own way and how much do we allow the simple purity of the truth of God's word to speak through us? And God's not going to file copyright claims back at you if you just quote a verse without referencing where it comes from. If they want to know, then go show it to them. If you're in a, in a debate or a discussion, we probably will want to know more about where are you reading this? Which, 
heretical book are you quoting? Like, we'll want to know those things then, and you want to prove it then. But when you're just discussing with your non-Christian friends or the people of the world, it's less clunky if you speak the truth and just leave it at that. And if they come to you and say, well, what, what, what do I need to say? Where did you get that? How did you know how to say that? Then you say, well, it's actually a quotation from the scripture, and here it is. We're not ashamed of the Bible. We're not ashamed of the scripture references. We're not ashamed of our translations. However, we want to be wise in the way we use them. So that was just a thought I had as an addition to a couple weeks ago when we talked about the sword of the spirit. Can you say Jesus said, or a wise man once said, or can you quote something or, or, or give the, the idea or the principle without having to let people know that you're using Bible on them? It's a good question for us to have. So we come to prayer and uh, verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication of the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. One of the things I said at the beginning was this is part of communication. We're learning how to communicate with God. And in the process of learning how to communicate with God, we're also learning how to speak, excuse me, speak and act when we're under attack. And it's an important part of our Christian thing. But the last thing that we come to here in this list is the context. Paul says, and for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. If you just read over this and you think, wow, how did Paul learn how to pray about all these things? Well, some of these, we went and found scripture and said the prophets spoke about a breastplate of righteousness. The prophets spoke about different pieces, the, the, the gospel of peace on someone's feet. And so he is pulling these from scripture, it's true. But one of the things that has made it possible for him to even think in this way is because he was on a mission. And right now he was on a mission, he's in chains, but he's there and he's asking them to pray for him, but it's showing us his context. Each one of us has a context. We have something that we're doing that we're trying to accomplish. And there are days when you will draw the sword of the spirit and you will be working on something purely because you yourself are in a barren land and you're trying to find, to get out of it. There are days when you know that someone else is in a barren land and you're trying to rescue them and bring them out into the place where they need to walk. There's different contexts for why you have the armor of God, why you're even suiting up. But it's important for us to understand that when I said the belt of truth represents the king, a, a real person who is the final judge of truth in his kingdom, you know, we don't come up with something and say, well, I think this is true or that's true. We have a final judge. He tells us what's true, but he also gives us a mission. He also gives us context. And there is not a day that goes by that he isn't wanting you to look around you and see your circumstances and say, what does the king want of me here? What is he asking me to do? How does he want me to fight here? And when we see that context, suddenly all of our weapons make more sense. Um, you know, for me, one of the biggest things, that, best blessings that happened to me was when I was 15 and I made the commitment that I was going to read the word of God every day. And I'll tell you, that has been challenged sometimes. Even recently, it gets challenged sometimes tremendously where I struggle to, uh, I get to the end of the night and I'm like, I don't think I read anything today. And the whole commitment was five minutes, which is five minutes is not very much of your day. But it made a huge difference for me because what happens if you're reading five minutes a day, even if you're just reading Psalms and Proverbs, 
um, doesn't matter where you're reading, if you're reading the word of God and you read a little bit of it every day, it's a discipline. You are learning. If nothing else, you learn where to find it in your Bible, right? And so it's at least that. But there's a discipline that you're having of getting in the word of God and using that. That's important. And so in the context, though, later for me, as I started looking around and seeing that part of my context was that my calling, the gifts that God had given me, part of my responsibility was to learn how to understand the truth of Scripture and to share it with other people, in multiple different ways, I needed to know what was in there. And so there are whole seasons of my life where five minutes a day is totally insufficient, where I'm reading way more than that. And I'm in the scriptures a lot more than five minutes a day. However, my five minutes a day is there and it kicks in on the days when I don't have a bigger cause or reason to be in scripture. And so I love the fact that I put that discipline into my life, that I'm going to read the Bible every single day. There's lots of days when I read the Bible and you ask me, you know, 10 minutes later, what did you read? Uh, I think it was in Proverbs. I'm not quite sure anymore. But there's other days when I'm talking about it for months, what I read on that day and what it meant. And I can't get to that day without all the boring days of not quite remembering what I read because it all runs together. So I wanted to, just in closing out the armor of God, to go back over it to talk about the purpose and the intent of our armor, the context within our battle, our enemy, our awareness of the situation, and just to encourage us to, to actively participate. So prayer and the word of God are two easy ones for us to say, I want to train in these. And so I'm going to pray. And, and if you've ever set out to pray for people, you know that there are some days when you try to pray and it's just like, you know, it's like eating dry straw. It just isn't working well. And you don't quite know how to pray. And then there's other days when you're praying and it's awesome. And you're just, you pray for this person, you pray for that person, you pray for all kinds of things, and it's really neat. And so this again, when I say I want to pray every day and pray daily, I have at times kept a list of people I want to pray for. Not always, but sometimes I have a list. And on those days when it's just perfunctory, I say, Lord, please bless so-and-so, please bless so-and-so, please bless so-and-so, amen. And I go on. And then there's other days where I start praying for this person. And next thing you know, I'm in a 30-minute prayer, passionately pleading to God for this person. But the Spirit is giving utterance. It's not just me coming up with it. And so there's nothing wrong with the please bless so-and-so prayer. It's a good discipline. And so even as you might read a scripture and just mumble your way through it, there's nothing wrong with that. It's a way to stay disciplined. So to pray for other people, to find a way to be able to pray for other people, to find a way to read the word of God, those are two very practical, practical takeaways from the, the armor of God. And then there's the others, of course, where we're act actively pursuing Christ the King as truth and our righteousness where we want to understand everything about him so that we can have the gospel peace with us so that we are so that we also are being inspired to use the shield of faith that we have the helmet of salvation every thought captive and that we are believing what Christ wants us to believe not what the world wants us to believe that we have the sword of the spirit that we know it that we're praying and in the context of our mission wherever we're called whatever we're doing and it changes from time to time in our life that we are fully equipped and having done all, we stand. And the, the devil leaves and the angels come. That's what we want. Let's pray.
Father, thank you so much for your great love to us. Thank you for equipping us. Thank you for giving us your word and for giving us this armor that we can wear, that we can go into battle, that we can come out victorious on the other side. So Father, thank you for the example of Jesus while he was on earth, that he used the word of God so effectively. And Lord, that he, his relationship with you and his pursuit of you, even when he was here, is with something that we can learn from, which is just phenomenal that we even can say that, that we can be like Jesus in, in an earthly sense, Father. And so, Father, I pray for each of us. Give us that clarity of the truth revelation that we can take thoughts captive that are not from you, that we can truly believe that the words you say in Scripture apply to us. And so, Father, I pray for us that we would be able to respond to you in faith that we would do everything and we would stand having defeated the enemy and having drawn near to Christ. We love you. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.